When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to We Dig Metal Evolution, a special Let It Roll Maxi series discussing Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution documentary series, hosted by Nate Wilcox with Eugene S. Robinson of the art punk band Oxbow and entertainment lawyer Alexi Ald. Let It Roll is the insanely ambitious musical history podcast. We've covered the early history of rock and roll, country music in the 20th century, the rise of hip-hop, disco, and electronic dance music, and now heavy metal. Stay tuned for our histories of Broadway, opera, punk rock, jazz, blues, and gospel. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter, at Let It Rollcast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Today, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi dive into the series with a look at the formative influences on heavy metal and a discussion of how to define the genre. Email us at letitrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and we're back again with Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson to kick off a new series, a look at Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution that aired on VH1 a few years back. The first episode features a lengthy effort to define define metal and goes into a discussion of the genres that metal evolved from, including classical, blues, jazz, and rock and roll. Fellas, general thoughts. We've been through the whole hip-hop evolution, Sam Dunn's later work. This is obviously where the template was formed. Doesn't have the animation. Doesn't have the convenient segment defining uh, graphics. Because you got him. You got uh, Sam. When you're doing your own thing and you're front and center, why bother with animations? I just <laughs> I, I just keep thinking of a comedy skit because the setup is just so walking, 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 voiceover, walking, sitting, talking. It's just like a Jesus Christ. It, it begs for a comedic treatment, you know. Uh, so I don't I, I don't I don't know what me I don't walking know. Walking in hit. metal, oh, oh. I don't know what Meathead is doing right now, Rob Reiner, but he, 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 he should get in there, man. Um, and, and either everybody on the show is incredibly short, or this Sam Dunn is incredibly tall, which I found totally distracting. Yeah. Um, well, Ronnie James Dio was extremely tall. Ronnie, Ron, yeah, but he wasn't. I didn't see him interview Dio yet, so, you know... Um, but uh, and Halford sat down. He's like, okay, I got you. You don't want people to know how tall you are. I'm obsessed with celebrity height. But uh, in general, in general, I found my myself rolling my eyes. It was only about a three eye roll show, which is on par with hip hop evolution, where I would roll my eyes about three times per episode. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I didn't like. I didn't like. With I, I, I really hate when they try to suburbanize uh metal and you know it's scott ian's uh, it's all just a bunch of fun it's all just a bunch because i don't come from that background i come from i come from hardcore where you could get stabbed on the dance floor and i like that vibe <laughs> i don't know it's just all a bunch of fun if i want a bunch of fun i'll go to jujitsu you know but if i want near i tell you the only metal show I've been to recently and this was a shocker a shocker because I've seen them play plenty before and it wasn't this way was Slayer's last show and that felt like being on the exercise yard at San Quentin and it was great <laughs> you know, it 
was really cool. I've been at some fairly scary Slayer shows myself. And yeah, okay. Always well, I've, seen them, I, I've seen them before, and it was like, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. But something about them, maybe it was the last tour, maybe it was Oakland Coliseum, but man, and people were getting arrested. Like, it was, it was like, it was. It took me back to the old hardcore days. But I'll say that I, I appreciate it. Well, it reminded me of the days I would listen to metal in the comfort of my own home. Because <laughs> I see the crowds like, I don't want to be a part of any of that shit. Pre-COVID, <laughs> you talk about danger. I'm looking, I don't see no brothers out there. <laughs> so it's like, so anyway, you know, so again, th- that's why I thought- You noticed the Confederate flag at the, oh, uh, of course. At the metal fest. Yes, okay. yes, of course. You yeah. know, I've, so, never, I've, never had, I've never had a hard time. I had one, we, we went to see at the Olympic Auditorium in LA and my drummer who was uh, African and German no, his father was from Jersey, a black guy from Jersey. His mother was German. So he's wandering, you know, he's identifies as a German. Some guy, you know, clearly Central Valley, Bakersfield type, you know, to him, called him a name. And he came and got me and we chased him all through the Olympic Auditorium. And that's been about Eugenius Robinson, my pro goon. Of course, you aren't afraid. Professional fighter and bar bouncer, not 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 afraid of crowds. Alexi and I have a different standard. Of- the, the question I have, though, so you're talking about the height. I was obsessing over the hair. Now people are a little too old to be having the full heads of hair, like streaming. Of, like, I, is it a lot of wigs? Uh, is it like no, what's what's going on? No, those guys. I mean, that's one. I, I don't know, man. I, the metal guys keep the hair as long as they can, and way past the time that poor Lars did. He was the only one. Like, Whoa. <laughs> I tell you, I, I felt the age keenly in ways. I felt the age keenly in ways that I didn't with hip hop evolution. And, mm. and, and I thought, I thought, well, that's because hip hop is relatively, relatively nothing. We hip hop evolution. They interviewed a lot of cats. I mean, Cool Herc, considering, looks pretty good yeah. compared to, you know. Well, but guy- keep in mind, Dio is basically the same age as Frankie Valli and Elvis. And and Cool Herc was in his early twenties in seventy four, so he's the same age as like David Johansson or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know he's still still twenty years younger than even, you, and he's the oldest guy in hip hop. You, you keep mentioning Dio. You do know he's dead, right? I do. I said he passed away. Yo. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah, I didn't hear you say that. But, I thought you were to start crying. I go what? <laughs> but you said so. so in, in what in what ways, Eugene? You said in terms of the age, looking at it differently. What what ways did you notice in the, the, um, the age well, differently? It, this versus the hip. Well, the thing is, you 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 have you know this is it's like a weird war story with this version of uh, metal evolution because you have seen the guys who have won, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so far the people whose names I'm seeing Kirk Hammett, I'm seeing you know I'm seeing guys who have. You know, I'm seeing Ingbe Malmsteen yeah. with five Ferraris. And no, I was a big Alcatraz fan, and I will cut him so much slack, even though he's a well renowned asshole. I will still cut. I love that guy. I will cut him all slack in the world. But, you know, these guys are on the winning side of the equation. In actual fact, I don't know if, I don't know yet if they're going to have a corollary to the almost rands and the never words that they covered in hip hop evolution from, from metal, because the reality of it is, those cats in metal stick to it, <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, they say, "Oh, Oxbow's been together for thirty years," and in metal terms, so what? So what? Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, we played with some band. At, well, we didn't. Play, we played in the same club. They were playing downstairs. We were playing upstairs with ISIS. This band, uh, Skeleton Witch, and I still pick up. I still. I'm still picking up. This Decibel Magazine to read about Skeleton Witch. It's still. And as far as I could tell. Who knew Skeleton Witch? It doesn't matter. Skeleton Witch knew Skeleton Witch. Mm. So I, I hope in some of the later versions they go into cats who are like lifers. And yeah, I got, you know, 150 people at my show. I don't give a shit. I'm not, I'm not going to work in your office. I'm not doing I can't. I just I can't. I'm not and I can't. So well. So you know, yeah, and I don't want to give away because uh, I've watched the whole series. I don't want to get a giveaway, but let's just say Pentagram is not going to be making any appearances on the series. There's oh man, whole armies of of never wars that don't get a lot of love on this. I mean, you know, his but- wife, his his unble- you know, his the dude's wife from Pentagram. I, I get this email one day, <laughs> and it turns out I go, man, why do I recognize this name? And I go, oh shit, it's his wife now, his ex-wife. 
And what is she doing? She's writing me because she's been writing for Ozzy and has a few questions. I was like, how the how did, how did this escape wow. my notice? How did you get to Ozzy without going through me? That's but I, I haven't said anything like yeah, I haven't said anything like, oh, you know, I haven't mentioned Pentagram at all. I thought it was amazing that he got married to her. I thought it was amazing that they stayed married as long as they did. And I thought it was completely not amazing they got divorced. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> oh well. Back back to the topic. So they they introduced, they started the festival in Walking, the biggest, biggest festival in metal. 70,000 people in one place. And then and then he goes into this, what he calls the big question. Why are people drawn to heavy metal music? And I don't know if you've seen his earlier documentary he did in 2005. Sam done this really fascinated with justifying metal. And that's, of course, uh, you have an inferiority complex yeah. if you're a metal fan. I mean, you know, hip hop may be kind of outlaw or whatever, but hip hop conquered the world and has held its position. Metal conquered the world 35 years ago now and totally dropped the ball in the early 90s and has since become this semi-disreputable cult form where it was once the absolute mainstream. Mm -hmm. I mean, for Gen Xers, metal was mainstream rock and roll, mainstream pop. It was all metal in the 80s. And so, yeah, he spends a lot of time sort of getting people to say why metal matters, why metal means something. You know, they talk about the tribal rights, the, the catharsis. And like you say, they describe it in terms of this, it's a good time, like a football game kind of thing. But it can be a little rougher than a football game. I mean, I've been in plenty of metal shows that are a lot scary, but I've been in some football games in the Texas panel that were pretty fucking scary too. So look, anything you know. in Texas, 50 50 shot of being scary. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck E. I Cheese. Can't, I can't. <laughs> Definitely Chuck E. Cheese. Actually, actually, it's funny you should mention that the only place I ever pulled a gun on somebody at a spoken word show was Texas. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh yeah. Who would think that poetry would bring that out of people? But in Texas, you know, poetry, I'll show you some poetry emotion. <laughs> poetry can be extremely catharsis. But the, I thought the thing that they missed in this whole, you know, heavy metal is a, a rite of passage, blah, blah, blah. They, they skipped the whole thing about why metal was so popular in the 80s, what sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Back when it was popular, girls dug metal. And uh, that's where the party scene was. If you wanted to get hooked up with some drugs, Metal Show is a great place to do it. And all that's gone. And all they have left now is this sort of boys club of slam dancing and catharsis. And mm. it's a far cry from what it was back in my day when all the hot chicks were at the Metal Shows. And I mean, and I still don't understand that. We'll have to talk about that when we get to the glam episode. I still am baffled by the enormous popularity of glam metal in the 80s absolutely still have well, no clue be. you should be it's the same reason why 13 year old girls dug justin bieber you know mm -hmm. i mean if you, or if even for, bts you look justin at like bieber, how they bieber was not yeah. wearing drag and being the most sexist pig on earth at the same time mm, that's okay. what the guys well, important well, in the crew yeah, yeah yeah okay it's that's so what you that's misogynistic well, it's, 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 yeah, a, that's, it's a combination yeah. though well you said you will get into it later but just a yeah. brief thing the combination of the angel and the devil together right so it's not you have the best of no, no no if you're gonna have to put on a bunch of makeup and hairspray you know you gotta counter that with something and mm -hmm. uh, piggish behavior seemed to go, go along with it you know so indeed um, indeed and, and and so then you know next he goes to a neurologist a neuroscientist to uh, have his brain scanned while he's listening to metal and all she tells him is that you know the violent sounds make you feel better you know it, I, I, I that was I rolled my eyes at that you know yeah, yeah was, you just he didn't really need to go but the visual of him with the stupid thing right. on his head was pretty priceless that might have sold um, the show if you think about it right and I'm gonna yeah, get my brain yeah. scanned <laughs> and entirely possible but entirely possible then he gets to what to me is the meat of the show which is the music history part yes. and immediately takes what I, I think many people would think is a controversial stand although I'm totally with him on this one and I'm curious to get your temperature but he goes most will agree the genre was born in February 1970 when Birmingham, England's Black Sabbath re re released their debut album, Black Sabbath. I can't argue with Sabbath as being the origin point of heavy metal. I mean, before Sabbath, but 
many people could death deep purple fans might argue led zeppelin fans might argue argue cream hendrix i mean no, 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 blue no, no, cheer no, no. I, I i almost my first exposure was not to sabbath but was to D, uh, deep purple and i i might make that claim but you can't the reason why you can't argue with Black Sabbath is because the overwhelming and overriding uh, associations with witchery, and which was which was something something um, new. And it, I don't know if you, I mean you guys are not as old as I am. When say Venom put out that first record, and I believe I saw it uh, in eighty two or eighty three. Yeah, I want to say eighty two. It was really like a certain type of forbidden fruit, and these guys were like actually scary. And that didn't get debunked until Black Flag had gone over and toured with them and came back and said they fundamentally were all pussies. So, and then that 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 <laughs> thing got that thing. But it it, it carried the, the occult connection carried a lot of fucking weight, a lot of weight, you know. Um, and you know, Deep Purple was still singing about hippies things. You know, they were kind of and they were funny. tongue in cheek. Their lyrics were totally. Ian Gillian yeah. did not take it seriously at all. And they're to- but they had the classical elements in a big way. They were heavy. Um, they were ludicrous and over the top. So you know, I mean, but yeah, I, I don't have any beef with Black Sabbath as a, as a beginning. I like you. No, no. Because no, also I, there's, okay. a, there's a funda- there's a fundamental vocal difference as well. Right. You know there was there was something kind of always kind of churchy about about Ozzy's delivery as well, which you didn't have it. You know, well, Ozzy's delivery is deeply eccentric. I mean, he sings offbeat, yeah. sometimes off key. Um, not and I don't see him as an especially influential singer. I mean, Ian Gillian, I see no, a lot more no. people who sing like Ian Gillian than, than Ozzy, and yet Ozzy's absolutely iconic. Um, yeah, you have a lot of people. I mean, I've had people talk shit about the bad brains. And for the first time, I was like, why are you talk shit about? I mean, lots of reasons to talk shit about the bad brains. But this one uh, Jack Rabbit from uh, the big takeover, his take was always their reggae sucks. I was like, oh, God, I mean, and then because I've seen them live. But the other day I was listening to God is love. And they, a reg, one of the reggae songs came on there, and I like uh, something to thee. I can't remember the name of the song. And I was like, actually, this is kind of subpar reggae. <laughs> I did for the first time. I had that, had that, you know. Yeah. See, see so, a cult I mean, link. I, the, what I find interesting about the cult link, though, going back to that with regards yeah. to Sabbath as opposed to Deep Purple, is what I found really fascinating was I like the link they made to blues and especially the dark arts of the blues and rock and roll. Yep. That heavy metal totally followed and hip-hop and other kinds of musical forms did not so to a certain degree i thought was i thought that kind of progression or passing the baton from music that's scary and is tapping the you know something that's dark and sinister and because remember the whole notion with regard to like oh you're you're doing secular music you're not if if you're you know a lot of the musicians coming from the church and you know doing the devil's music which was rock and roll or blues or anything that was not really you know spiritual or supposed to be godly and then the howling wolf and the just the 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 guttural like way in which he could sing you know and then Mm -hmm. you go to the heavy metal uh uh uh, flirtation with the occult. I thought it was a really interesting that I never thought about before. That interesting link between this whole like the Robert Johnson crossroads, you know, and then heavy metal, which almost seems to just be right there for it. As opposed, I, I just I thought that kind of uh, connection was really fascinating to me. I, I thought that was really good, but they they do classical first, and and blues we'll do in our next segment. So 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 hold that thought. But I thought. And, and it's stupid to me, but it's only been the last couple of years I've realized that classical is the thing that's – like he starts with classical. And right, really right. this is electric blues bands that became metal bands. So you, if you're going to do this logically, you'd start with kind of the kinks thread, that the English blues rock thread. But they start with classical, and I think that's a smart thing to do because right. that's really what distinguishes metal from other forms of rock and roll. And it's right well, there in the – and in Black Sabbath, I mean, it's the the thing from Holtz and Mars and that song, the classical element. And yeah, Deep Purple had classical elements too. 
but Sabbath gets to those tritones and those weird scales that like the Beatles never use, like Phrygian and, and Lydian that, that literally, I think George Harrison used it once, but the Beatles never well, use those scales. I tell you, as we were watching it, as we were watching it, Kasia said she was telling me that there's somebody, something she found on the internet where somebody added drums to all this classical music. <laughs> Like like drums, like you know, like not a yeah. Neil Pert kit, not a Neil Pert kit, but, you know, <laughs> a, a, a standard standard rock kit. And she goes, it just sounds like metal. You know? Wow. Like, yeah, but 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 this, yeah. is, this should this shouldn't be a confusing two step to anybody right. because <laughs> you blues is like boxing, right? It's a very specific art that it takes you a really long time to get get good at. But it's only that, right? And you know, if you've been able to see the progression from punk rock guys to hardcore guys to metal guys, what happens is over the course on a long enough timeline, people can play better. So they want to play stuff. And one of the cats actually makes this point, Ingve makes this point of like, yeah, I want to do what he's doing on on my on my guitar. Um, I mean, you know, the the old hippies who can continue to play rock, that's fine for them. They, they, you know, Rolling Stones already scoped out that territory, let them have it. But these guys are now like, well, I can really play. What's the hardest thing to play? Mm. And, you know, and it's no, yeah. no mistake that they also mentioned jazz in there as well. So. Yeah, they'll get to jazz and we'll talk about that next time. But the, the, I got to <laughs> I gotta highlight this Ingve quote because I just thought it was absolutely sums up. It's brilliant. It's Ingve. Yeah. It, it gets that metal smart guy who's actually a dumbass but thinks he's so smart and so Ingve says people kept on telling me to slow down yeah. you know less is more and i always said how could that be how can less be more that was it's impossible that was more is more and that was <laughs> so genius that absolutely sums up the thing I about metal I, mean, I had to pause it yeah. i was laughing so hard it was pure oh i was attack. rolling on the floor yeah i mean it's <laughs> literal minded it's the kind of guys yeah. who Absolutely, think they're smart, but don't really have a handle on irony necessarily. You know, hey man, and, didn't and, you, you you didn't figure that out when you saw the five of the exact same Ferrari parked in his driveway that he rented, obviously for the day. Oh. I mean, I mean, I'm not, okay, maybe what's, he didn't, but what's the lot? What's what she said, Eugene? To quote Big Boy, what, what, she, what should Ingve have said when he was by those five <laughs> Ferraris? Remember your favorite line from uh, Big Boy in MTV Cribs. Don't oh try. yeah! Don't try it. Don't try it. <laughs> but, but, but actually, the, th the thing the, the, the thing that you don't know that most people don't know about Ferraris is that, especially the kind that he has, those are custom made, which means the seats are designed to fit his body. Which means if you are not the size of Ingve Malmsteen, that car will be an ill fit for you. Which means that only he can drive those cars. Hmm. So why buy like, five? <laughs> you know, more is more, Eugene. Did you not listen? More is more. <laughs> but I mean, it's not like you can also, loan them out to your friends, right? Yeah, so they make that Paganini connection with these aspiring virtuosos like Uli John Well, Ross because he also, he, he also made a deal with the devil. Yeah, and Paganini, of course, famously, supposedly, yeah. you know, and wrote The Devil's Trill and different things like that and was big on tritones, The Devil's Interval. Um, mm -hmm. But I also get into this opera thing and the operatic singer, you know, Rob Halford, Bruce Dickinson, and I, I assume they'll get to Freddie Mercury when they mention it. I think Freddie Mercury should get credit for bringing that whole operatic school of singing into rock and roll. And, I, and Rob <laughs> Halford and Dickinson, obviously these guys were all acolytes of Freddie Mercury. Mm. And the thing with why do rock critics hate heavy metal so much? I think it's this classical element because, I mean, there's just certain genres that are oil and water for some people. And a lot of people that are rockers see classical being in their music. And it's just like, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. Get that shit out. This is what I'm trying to get away from. And I also mm -hmm. think, well, just hear me out, that that – these guys expect opera and classical to be some sort of elevated thing mm. when actually opera is soap operas. Opera is totally lowbrow. I mean, yeah, it's about yeah, blood yeah, and yeah. sex yeah. and over the top emotions and weeping in public and stuff like that. And I think people who don't know anything about it, except that it's supposed to be, uh, you know, exalted and serious, like rock critics who don't know opera are looking at Freddie Mercury acting like a clown and going, what is this ass clown doing? He's, you know, he's mocking rock and roll and he's mocking opera. And when actually it's much more true to opera to be over the top and ridiculous and, and everything like that. But that's, I don't know. Why do you think that the classical link is not why rock critics hate metal so much? 
I think I think that rock critics hate um, hate heavy metal so much because heavy metal folks advocate poorly for themselves, you know. And um, and and one but thing more what is I more. well but you know every month i get this metal magazine and it there are a couple of things that greet me not as a person who likes metal or a musician but greet me as a journalist and that's every single pr photograph and there's not a single interview that i've read and i don't blame the bands i blame the writers there's not a single interview that i've ever read that that's that stands a Eugene S. Robinson smell test where I would say I could publish this in GQ, I could publish this in this, I could publish it's a good piece of fucking journalism. I mean, they're gonna say, So, what was it like in the studio, man? You guys were pretty buzzed, or if they're on the other side of that wall, how's it been since you've been sober? Or if it's the, the questions are the heavy metal folks haven't figured out that you answer the question that you wish they had asked, not the question they ask, you know. Um, and, I, and I know plenty, look, you know, one of the most brilliant guys that I know from heavy metal his Dixie from fucking weed eater. And, um, I've never read a single interview that you've read with, with weed eater where you would think that Dixie was, you know, and it's not because Dixie's not putting out there it's because they're asking the same stupid fucking questions. You know, every now and then when somebody gets known as an intellectual or a bright guy, like Mike Williams from I hate God, they'll ask him some serious questions, but you know, it always comes back to like this extended adolescent boys club, mm. how many beers you drank in the studio. And mm. just that shit is just, just beat. Some guy wrote about Oxbow recently. He was like, man, I always thought you guys were uppity. <laughs> now I realize, Real, now I realize it was just confidence. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I mean, getting drunk would you do? I mean, there's a point at which if you're a over forty year old person who plays metal, where you got to adjust shit, you know, if you're legit, you got to adjust shit. Otherwise, you're doing some kind of minstrel thing, mm. and that's not, um, that's not, you know, you're not fooling fooling any journalists. So journalists are gonna go fuck you and that's kind of what they do right yeah 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 i i, I, I don't know I, I i agree with that and you know there's no pete townsend's or john lennon's really in in, in the metal world that are going to be fascinating hour-long interviews but i, no, I that's also not think true, that, that's that, that that's actually that's actually uh, true. yeah uh, you know the, the guys in neurosis are plenty bright and could talk about interesting things but they, they, they just even those guys they just you know in I'm interested in what fuels the music, not so much the music. I can listen to the music myself, you know, and nobody ever asks them about what fuels the music. I, I know that those guys are way more interesting than any interview has ever let them be. And I would say the same about people that people don't really like that more like Phil Anselmo. I interviewed uh, Phil Anselmo from, for some Aussie piece, and it was one of the most interesting interviews. And I've interviewed a lot of people that I've ever done. And I never see him. No, nobody ever asked him about that, you know. And it was it was on the phone, so he wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he was trying to kids. You know, all Scott said, my friend Eugene's going to call you. He's going to talk to you, and he talked. He talked about R and B, and he's, he was talking about, you know, like shit that you didn't expect him to know. And of course, he knew it, and nobody else has ever asked him. So, um, the, I, I guess the, the like issue is to do more metal journalism, my friend. I think that was the issue that, you know, you have rock and roll has the benefit of rock journalists, but heavy metal the, just has dudes who like metal who think they can write mm. with, with, the, with the exception. No, and I, there are a few, I mean, most of the guys, most of the people who write for, for Decibel are real journalists, like Jay Bennett, completely solid. And there and they're, they're a couple of ones who, who've written books and who also write for, for the magazine and they're solid, you know, um, Corey Grow, who used to write for one of these, and John Seltzer, who was a terrorizer. There's some solid writers out there, but I mean, I'm talking about 10% are good. Where, you know, well, I, I think it, that's rock, true. Rock critic, rock, no, rock critic rise. <laughs> no, rock critics had a good run for a period of time there, right? You know, from Lester, Lester Bangs to Legs McNeil to John uh, Perelis. Yeah, they had a good, they had a, 
Yeah, they yeah. had a good good run. <clears throat> but what, I want to get one last quote in before we end the segment, and that's Bob Ezrin, who produced uh, Kiss Destroyer and a number of Alice Cooper albums and other things. Heavy metal at its core is martial music. It's big, heavy, military, scary-to-death music. I think that's another thing. It's related to the classical influence, but they don't bring this out. But it's one of the few places where John Philip Sousa's legacy lives on, like this old-school military this is what we're going to play while we're shooting people to death kind of music. And uh, it's, it's in metal and it's not in a lot of other places. I mean, hip hop sometimes gets that kind of aggro and obviously hardcore punk, but you know, hardcore and metal kind of merged pretty quickly by 85 or so, you know, the crossover thing had merged the two. So I, I don't know. For me, these were just the kind of obvious things that it's taken me decades to figure out. Like, oh, heavy well, metal I, is classically influenced and, and heavy metal is martial music. And neither I, I of those things. You, an, old, an old hippie commie was the first guy who like said, metal is a music of fascism and I fucking hate it. And he says, next time you go to a metal show, you look around you and everybody's got their, their arm up and he started comparing to Nazi rallies. And so the next metal show I went to was like ACDC and I was like, ah, I guess he's kind of right. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it didn't I mean, ruin my enjoyment of the show. It was a great, it was a great show, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, I, and I have to say that... It's, it's the right wing music. I, I think... I mean, there aren't that there are some like Napalm Death was super left wing, but for the most part, this is you know if you're going to find Nazis in bands, they're probably going to be in metal. I mean, well, sometimes punk, we, but we, we don't really have any super metal equivalents of like Screwdriver, so I'm still going to keep that in the in the punk hardcore genre. But I have to tell you one thing that made me really happy was to see my friend Eddie Kramer in there. And I was really happy he was in there. Uh, a producer used to produce Hendrix. When I was at EQ, he and Joe Ciccarelli were two of my favorite producers ever. The Johnses, like who I couldn't really nail down, and uh, they, he was they one of the favorite guys. So, nice well, and he'll be back um, in these pre-metal episodes that that they're going to do following that. But, and we'll we'll come back and we'll talk about the blues and the jazz and the rock and roll connections in the, in the second half of this segment. And now, a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Let It Roll. We're continuing our conversation about Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution. We're talking about episode one. We talked about the influence of classical music and opera on heavy metal. And now we're going to discuss other genres whose influence they trace in metal. So up next is the blues. And I think I think Glenn Hughes, his former uh, Deep Purple and Trapeze bassist, has... has it boils it down. He says all hard rock metal bands start out with some sort of foundation that started with the blues riff. And I think that's the thing. And I think Kurt Hammett from Metallica gets it too. It's, it's riff based music and the blues is riff based music. I mean, the blues has the three chord structure that metal 
I mean, every once in a while you'll get a metal song that's a three bar or three chord blues, but not very often. I mean, but but the riffs is definitely, I think, definitely the the connection. Thoughts? Oh, yeah? let, 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 let's ask Varg about that. <laughs> Varg Vickerness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's ask him if, if if mud people make the music that he loves so much. I mean, it's really obvious to me. I don't know that there's ever a point of contention, right? I mean, not only musically, but in terms of how they've chosen to live their lives. You know, they weren't cl- classical guys. weren't pounding whiskey. weren't weren't dying at twenty seven. Mm, you know? I don't know about that, actually. I, 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 you know, you went through a period where Stravinsky was getting chased from the from the building and so on. But and, and I do know lots of opera I people mean, who were completely out of their minds. How, how Bach, Bach was arrested. I think he was drinking vats of beer in church. Uh, multiple opera writers that were accused of or were guilty of murder in the early days. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, I mean, and then there's Paganini. So in terms of an ethos, it just seems to be more widespread. And and I think a large part of it maybe had to do with, you know, the other other pressures and the rigors that went along with being a a blues musician, at least in America in the 20s and 30s. It just seemed like a more perilous lifestyle. People didn't expect to live that long. Um, So it's always amusing to find like Lemmy. Right before he was dying, right before he died, was saying, "No, man, I'm, I'm. You don't understand. I'm riding this straight to the end." As he does an interview where he chain smokes, and I was getting nauseous just watching him chain smoke. Um, but you know, uh, he didn't die at 29. He lived until whatever age he was when he died. So, yeah, and he made it um, made it well into his 60s. Yeah, which yeah. is a really a major surprise given well, did the, he tell his, and the alcohol. So, what well, did he tell his son? Remember the. Uh... Yeah. I think one of the two things he told him, other than how much he banged his mother, was uh, it was something like, "You speed, <laughs> it's cheap, and you don't die quickly like you do for coke." <laughs> I think that's like the yeah. only that's the only fatherly advice he gave him. <laughs> yeah, but you look like I mean, you look like you look like shit. You look at somebody like William Burroughs, man. He looked great until the day he died when he was in his nineties. Anything that slows you down ends up if it doesn't kill you. Ends up making you look better in the long run, but in any guy, we're we're off topic here. I mean, the idea yes, is yes. generally, generally, I think that the, the blues, um, as much as people in it, it might rankle to hear, you know, when Little Richard was going, I'd start all. It might rankle. It, there was nothing but like that before. Then there was that, and then there was still all this stuff after. I think it's a, a clear cut lineage, and I there's no argument in my mind. Yeah, I mean, like the 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 big three or four that predate heavy metal and, and we'll talk about it in the next few episodes but hendrix obviously massive blues influence cream massive blues influence um yep. jeff beck massive blues influence jimmy page massive blues influence the black sabbath was a blues band before they yep. were uh, you know before yep I mean, you know, so, but the one I mean, thing I, that, you know, that, if, if people from Joy Division want to get kind of salty, I completely understand. I don't, I don't hear too much of the blues in Joy Division, but, you know, that no. topic, topically is, it's, it's blues related, but I'm not going to make that claim for Joy Division. So, yeah, no. And, and yeah, and Kirk Hammett does bring that up that it's heavy metal is dark in nature like the blues. And I, I was watching uh, Ken Burns jazz documentary the other day and, and they had something that I missed the first few times I saw it, but that blues was the music that freed slaves used to kill the aesthetics of minstrelsy, which was so big, which was the, the, the popular music in America from 1840 to 1900. And that, Blues is the music of people that are free that are inventing a new aesthetic that's about who are we, not who do you yeah. think we are. And yeah. and I thought that was that was an interesting twist. But the thing that they repeat that got me, um, they, they, he says, Dunn goes, most musicians agree that the foundation for all rock music is the blues, which is a total pet peeve of mine. And I think he's sort of right if you if you take that rock versus rock and roll. Rock and roll being the '50s version, rock being the '60s and beyond, and and blues after the Rolling Stones becomes this massive influence on rock. But on mm. rock and roll, it's more about R and B than blues. It's mm. Ray Charles, it's Louis Jordan, it's yep. you know um, those guys. But the thing that I they got, you want to throw in something? I got, I got, I got. I just want to, as an, a quick aside, I can't tell you how happy I was that they put Buddy Rich in there. But anyway. Uh, yes, yes, and we'll get we'll get to that. But but the thing, the canard that they repeat, like that one's that's hair splitting. But then they repeat this just total. 
it's brain dead bs the blues which was born when robert johnson stood at the crossroads in yeah. clarksville mississippi yeah. and sold his soul yeah. to robert johnson is yeah. playing in the 30s blues is invented probably in the 1890s like yeah. we know of i yeah. mean like yeah it, it, i mean but there's so many it, people it, before robert johnson that it's just like yeah yeah but you know that was the kind of thing that's like being at that superman and then and being at Superman and complaining, oh, oh, really? He puts a cape around his neck and he can fly. You know, I mean, what are they? He flies expect? around the planet I mean, and time goes. You know, back. it's just, it's, it's just, yeah, yeah it's, it's too, it's just too, it's too, it's too Canadian. Just, yeah, they're not gonna. They, yeah, they're <laughs> Once not gonna, again, just, yeah, you don't have the not, roots. Yeah. You don't yeah, have the roots. Gonna, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to be. <laughs> That's the end of the day. Yeah. You fall, yeah, why, why do you, you know, what's, uh, I remember back then, you talk about the blues. I asked um, an aunt one day when I was little, I was like, I don't understand, like, the blues versus, because that, that whole notion of, like, rock and the blues. I don't understand, <laughs> like, why is it that Led Zeppelin is so fast and the blues? She's like, because when you play the blues and when you listen to the blues, you've been working a hard day. <laughs> and the music is slow. You barely pick up your feet. <laughs> and you're like, you're just there moving. That's why it's slow, because you're tired working all day. You know, like one yeah. of these young punks jumping them down. <laughs> yep, yep. That's that's one reason. But there was also fast blues and slow blues, and the slow blues yeah. was late late in the evening. But so that's blues. Then they bring in jazz. This is where boy buddy Rich comes in. And this one I, is to me a little forced and they go to black sabbath and this is totally true because bill ward is absolutely a jazz drummer i mean if, if you listen to him yep. he's on the hi-hats he's got swing yep. um yep. and if if you don't know what swing is it means you're you're playing between the beats a little bit mm. you know it's, mm -hmm. it's not straight time um which is totally jazz swings um some not all forms but jazz generally swings and and you know so you got you got that you got Black Sabbath, the most, you know, the band we have all agreed. Okay, this is this is this is when metal starts with Black Sabbath. Their rhythm section swings, but most rhythm, metal rhythm sections, I don't think, really swing in that same mm. way. Mm. I mean, like you get to by the time you get to, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, we get. Yeah, I mean, what I thought that was really noteworthy, and what came across, and what I wasn't able to give a name to it until maybe this this past few days, was that. Um, and and they make reference to it, so it's not something that you anybody should have missed. But when you talk about a guy like Bill Ward, you know you talk. About, I mean, his the zeitgeist, the what he was listening to. I mean, Bill Ward is fucking old, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, so the music that he grew up listening to is like people say, "Oh, what are your influence? What you think, Bill Ward?" And it was, was his parents' music. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. So you, yeah. you put that, put a framework around that. I mean, even Manson was like, <laughs> sorry to segue into Charles Manson, but when they said, oh, Beatles, 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 and Manson goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, he was lying, of course, but he goes, I grew up listening to Bing Crosby, and Bing Crosby was hugely influential. Uh, I mean, so many people name check him as an influence from Elvis on through, but, you know, it just, these are old people, so they listen yep. to different things, so... Yeah, but but the second point they bring in Carmine piece, the yeah. drummer for hire, going all the way back to Vanilla Fudge. He, I think, he gets to something more accurate, which is that the jazz influence on metal is that this is a genre that nurtured virtuosity and metalheads, being sort of straight ahead thinkers, always want to be the fastest, the best. And, you know, so then they go into a whole thing about drummers and Buddy Rich, obviously, and and and, and they talk mostly about influence of jazz drummers on on metal drummers totally fair enough any other points on jazz you want to bring up yeah i mean this is this is also another another style of music where where it was really the repository for some people that were out and out characters i mean if you listen to that that tour bus buddy rich tour bus he <laughs> tour bus rant where he's going on and on 
he was tougher and rougher than in like Slash or any of these kind of wannabe metal cats gave along later could ever contemplate being. And he was like sober when he was doing it. You know, mm. I'll come down there and whip your and 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 I tell you, Chickarelli was in the studio with Art of Art Blakey, and Art Blakey um, was recording some stuff with Branford. I was not going to mention his name, but I don't give a shit now. Branford Marcellus, right? And uh, Marcellus hit a couple of clams and, you know, Chicarelli's at the board looking at, at Blakey, like, like notice, right? And he's still playing and it happens again. And at the end of the song, Blakey rips into Branford Marcellus and says, you know why you play like shit? You play like shit because you've been playing with these fucking rock and roll guys. In Blakey's mind, Sting was a rock and roll guy, right? And, and, and he he just tore him a new asshole. I mean, the rest of us, you know, with politics be well, we gotta pull the guy aside. Maybe they just did it right in the room, man. You know, you don't fucking like it, take it on the arches. This is the way. And I said, so what happened? He goes, well, they played it again. I go, how do you do it after? He goes, he played it right. Mm. <laughs> Marcellus yeah. was like. Buck. It wasn't like he was afraid he was going to get fired. It was like, guy, just put him on Front Street. You suck. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't know if you can't play this. Then don't, don't just leave. You know. So that was like, I mean, these guys. Yeah, these are hardcore, hardcore cats it, all around. It, you know, I'm, I'm not talking yeah. about George Benson. <laughs> you know, he was a fine player, but yeah, I mean, he obviously. Well, he's not. He's not going to chase you. He's not going to chase you around the parking lot and kick your ass like Charlie Mingus. For what? Because you didn't play well enough, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Mingus punched a trombone player in the mouth, which is, you know, pretty much a death penalty offense. The one thing I want to add about jazz is that they left out the whole influence of free jazz on Hendrix yeah. and everybody else. I mean, the whole idea of screaming feedback and just a noise breakdown, that is free jazz. I don't think yeah. anybody did that anywhere before Annette Coleman and company started doing that stuff. So that explosion of noise thing, which isn't that big a factor in metal, although they're kind of incorporating yeah. the Stooges and MC5 into that. And so, um, you know, there's there's definitely a noise tradition and heavy rock and roll coming from Hendrix. But then they move on to rock and roll. And, you know, he, he's, he comes out and says that the most obvious musical antecedent of metal is rock and roll. Duh. I mean, you know, this is just this is where rock and the metal musicians were playing rock and roll before they, they switched to metal. And then they're showing Elvis in Memphis and Stun Studios. And, and, and I'm kind of bracing because I'm like, I don't want to hear about Elvis right now in this context. But then they go to Rock in 88. Ike Turner's, I was released by Jackie Brinson, but recorded by Ike Turner's band, the, the Rhythm Kings. And, mm. and they focus in on the distorted guitar on that track and Sam Phillips's role. And, Ooh, that sounds cool. Use that. You know, when they were like, mm. right. Oh, we mm. broke our amp or whatever. So, you know, I think, I think that that was, that was pretty key and getting to a key part of it. And they'll talk about distorted guitar a little bit more, but the second thing that they bring in from rock and roll is the wild rock and roll front man. And this is where Elvis, Jerry Lee, little Richard, uh, Wynoni Harris, these guys, um, come from and, and that's absolutely a key link you know and and i think nelson george has a good quote when he goes these guys represent and by these guys he means the 50s rock and rollers represented a kind of wildness and freedom that was not expressed in any other form of the popular culture because this is the red scare era this is the they're afraid of nukes they're afraid of communists they are buttoned down they've been through the depression they've been through world war ii they don't want any crap they don't want any freaks don't rock the boat that whole gi generation is all about crew cuts and saluting and you know, and and these greaser kids come along, and do not care, and just go ape. So, why are they talking about Chuck I mean, Berry? Huh? Uh, is, uh, is, is he coming later? Because the thing is, I was watching, and I was just waiting for the inevitable. Where's Chuck Berry? Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry, and I just I was like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe it's in another maybe, segment, or I don't, I don't get it. Maybe I Chuck mean, Berry is a, sl a slick Rick of, of uh, what slick yeah. Rick was to hip hop evolution. Chuck Berry will be to metal evolution. Right? Well, except I mean, Chuck Berry is a precursor of metal, but and that's the thing to me. Mm. Chuck Berry is the most fundamental, most influential rock and roll rock and roller of that era because he's a guitarist and he codified the band. This is what a rock band is like. Because Little Richard had the saxophone and the pianos and the, the jump and The band. rock star with the guitar and like doing the duck walk yep. and the front man yep. and doing all that kind of stuff. I just, yeah. I, just me, I, again, I'm a, 
I'm, you know, as a casual, I just was just waiting for it and it just didn't. Well, I mean, I think, I think the, the, th- the things I'd say is he was from St. Louis and recorded in Chicago. So he wasn't in Memphis. He didn't distort his guitar that much. So he doesn't fit with their guitarist distortion theme. And out of all those guys, him and Buddy Holly, who have the most, the rock and roll instrumentation down pat more than any, any them and them and Bo Diddley pretty much the only mm-hmm. small group electric guitar mm-hmm. combos. Um, no acoustic basses, you know, no acoustic guitars that so just electric guitars, bass drums. They weren't wild frontmen. I mean, Chuck Berry, he did the duck walk and everything, but he was not you don't you don't think of abandon when you think of Chuck Berry, you think of polished showbiz act. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's winking, he's duck walking, he's he's basically doing Louis Jordan routines um in a rock and roll context. And so so yeah, I mean Chuck Berry is so immense. And I mean, you know, and especially if the Beatles and the Rolling Stones both just absolutely, you know, come from Chuck Berry. But I don't know. I, I and the thing I, that, that I, no wind up your thought okay well the one thing i think they left out is that that abandon came from gospel pentecostal gospel in particular and 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 that's that's where that abandon that crazy hair raising snake handling thing speaking of tongues baby yeah and And and, I, i can't i mean from the point of view of everybody who's now in this internet Worldwide web, uh, WW Worldwide web, social media in monoculture. You know, the first national tour I did was like in 81 or 82. And I have to tell you, man, America has changed quite a lot since then. And you, you know, you really, you pulled into town, regional scenes, regional threats, regional opportunities. And I, 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 tell you, I can't imagine what it was like. <laughs> just to play that music back in the fifties and, and, and hop in a bus and drive through the American South. And, and I mean, you, yeah. you had, to, you had to be made a totally different, just, just different cats. That's yeah. I mean, it, it was not, that was, it was not hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. That's Whether you hardcore. were like a black northerner, who'd never dealt with segregation and all that bullshit, like Frankie yeah. Lyman, you know, yeah. or little Willie John or whatever, having to tour the South all of a sudden and being treated as a second class citizen. I mean, they dealt with racism up North obviously, but not like Alabama, 1955, you know, like, and, yeah. and then somebody like Buddy Holly coming from Lubbock, Texas and yeah. playing at the Apollo and the crowd. And it's so hard to believe, but this is the truth. The crowd thought he was a black guy, you know, cause they heard his records. <laughs> Light and then here kid. he is, <laughs> the lightest, whitest kid, you know. And, and he looks like little my Richard. cousin. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's back there with little Richard and Angel right up to the second they call his name. So, you know, but, but one more thing to fit in. The, the last thing they get to is the British invasion. And this is kind of rock versus rock and roll. They don't formally distinguish between mm. the first generation of rock and rollers and the, the British 60s generation, but it's clear there's a difference. And it's the right thing to do. I, you know, I, I mean, rock and roll is like this explosion in the 50s, but it was beaten back. Elvis goes to the yeah. army. Jerry Lee is ruined. Chuck Berry goes to prison. Buddy Holly dies. Little Richard gets religious, et cetera, et cetera. And pretty soon, you know, it, it's Bobby Darren doing Mac the Knife and, and Frank Sinatra with the Rat Pack in Vegas. And, hey, hey, and the, hey I love that stuff. I like, you know, but. but Somewhere across the yeah. sea. <laughs> I, I, I dig the guy too, but but he, you know, it's this. This was just a fad, and and there's, you know, the Brill Building and Phil Spector and all these things. Motown's coming along, but it's not that same crazy in your face yep. after yeah, yeah, rock and roll rebellion. And the Beatles come back, come along, annihilate everything in their path, and they're basically a rock and roll revival act. They're one part Motown girl group. Mm-hmm. And then yep. the, the other part is straight up little Richard Chuck Berry, Elvis rock and roll revival, and they are so big that okay, rock and roll one, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and, yeah. and they barely mention the Beatles. If you notice, they have the, them listed, um, which I think is totally fine because the Beatles are I don't think of it as a direct antecedent of metal in the way that the Stones at mm. all were. And they, and they hone right in on the right band, which is the Kinks and Dave Davies. And you really got me. I mean, the, the Kinks pretty much invent punk and metal 
all at once with you, you really got me even though they're just ripping off louis louis but that yep. guitar tone he had and the way the british recorded those small combos it just sounded bigger and it was just you know much more violent so yeah definitely glad they talked about talked to dave davies and pick the kinks and then the next thing they do is talk about pete townsend and the invention of the martial amp which absolutely essential to metal i mean no martial amps i don't think you have metal so yeah yeah i kind of i i I was sort of slightly irked that the kid was at i look up and he's wearing a martial t-shirt it's like yeah, bro, you can't just come on. Yeah, I know you're you're a fan. Yeah, you know it's a journey. He wears his just... Marshall T-shirt to tour the Marshall Factory. I mean, yeah, okay. I just, but, yeah, you know, okay. he's Canadian. They don't know any better. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm gonna go to Winnipeg and just get my ass kicked these days. It's gonna be your fault, Alexi. That's Winnipeg, Calgary, Saskatoon. They're gonna take it to you no matter where you go. I love yeah, or Quebec. You know. Uh, I got cousins tough. up there, so I can fuck around. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah so, hey, the, hey, the the only Black Hell's Angel was in Montreal, <laughs> and that was I've a to, deadly, deadly chapter of the Hell's Angel. Yeah, I've been trying to track this guy down for years, and I've written him to try to get an interview, and he's you know talked to me. So. <laughs> a little reticent. Also, the deadliest guy in that Montreal Angels chapter was five foot five. So just, just, there you just. Go. A, yeah. Just, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, he yeah he was bodyguard for for Jeff Chief, and when the guy died, he was like, "Yeah, I, you're the only guy who could you're the baddest fucker in here." So black, I know, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, okay. So we've covered the first episode. General thoughts, and Alexi, you got to talk. You haven't talked enough. General thoughts on this first episode. because no, you guys are going deep into you know people that actually you know performed and are close to the music. Uh, creation aspect as opposed to me who is more of the business and the the mark casual. The thing that I mentioned in the last segment that we didn't mention this, so I'm glad I mentioned it there because it wasn't foreshadowing because we didn't talk about it, is I really enjoyed the uh, when they talk about Robert Johnson and the occult influence because that's mm-hmm. one thing that I think in terms of metal that is really key in distinguishing it from other different forms and genres of music is the constant presence, especially overwhelming presence of the occult, uh, especially in like the eighties. Well, I mean, you know, Black Sabbath, certain kinds of things, the Satanists actually charging them on stage, uh, <laughs> saying like, don't fuck with yeah. our shit. So I thought that was a very interesting tie in terms of Robert Johnson and that kind of spookiness and the occult and the crossroads being brought over uh, to a later generation. So that's something that isn't really mentioned as often as it should be. Yeah, and, and, and that's one thing. And that's something where they could have talked about the Stones a little bit more because Mick Jagger and his whole Jumpin' Jack Flash and Sympathy for the Devil phase, he was explicitly flirting with that. They were hanging out with yeah. Kenneth Anger and you know Anita Pallenberg and Ryan Jones who are way into Satanism and, and God knows what. And, and so the Stones are a big part of making that occult satanic thing explicitly a part of rock music and metal just picks up the torch and runs with it yeah. now you can go AJ. <laughs> i just say anton anton levey you know uh, when when i was associated with him he was like you know talking about satanic metal and he goes i don't know man and again he's another cat i grew up listening to Pink cosby i don't I don't even know if this qualifies as music. He goes, but they send me and they ask me if they could use the, the, the Seagull and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, you pay me, you can use it or whatever. But he's just like, he w- he was confused. Um, but he, he, <laughs> he um, you know, he, he his son, his grandson, Stanton LaVey, who I've maintained an association with, has got Kenneth Anchor is his godfather. <laughs> Interestingly enough, you know. Um, but yeah, he he had talked about um, kind of uh, Jagger making a pilgrimage to you know right around the time uh, invocation for my demon son that Kenneth Anger was working on that in Scorpio brother invocation of my demon brother. my demon brother. Sorry, and then and then Jagger was supposed to be so you know these guys were all you know but they they were marks right I mean. You know, LeVay was fundamentally an atheist who had a hustle. <laughs> so, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, but know. Kenneth Anger, though, I think believed it more than than uh, LeVay, LeVay. But he's yeah. just 
yeah, you know, yeah. but yeah, yeah, Levi, Levi, definitely a con man. So, um, yeah, so that wraps up. I, mean, I, 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 I didn't say a con yeah, man. Yeah. I, I just said, you know, Carney, just, a Carney. I, yeah, that's yeah. He'd he'd feel comfortable with Carney. Yeah, yeah. Whose philosophy is stated in the Satanic Bible matches uncannily the work of Ayn Rand. It's the exact yeah. same. Oh no, no. I, I thought thing. you were, I thought you were going to say uh, Ragnarok. That guy, uh, Eric the Red, there was some guy who, like, they did a kind of one for one comparison about it's like, this is, it seems really familiar. And he's like, and <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've, we've wondered a little bit afield, but yeah, I mean, that's that's that. I, I feel like that they laid the groundwork, they talked about what they needed to talk about, and then the next two episodes, they're going to deep dive. The first one will be. Early Metal Part One U.S. Division, and then then there'll be Early Metal Part Two U.K. Division, which I think is a totally logical way to do it because because they both you know you have Blue Cheer, MC Five, Vanilla yeah. Fudge, you have lots of heavy hard rock bands in the states, and then I'm an Anglophile. I gotta say, I think the Brits just mop the floor. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, uh, uh, the MC5 yeah. in certain places and times were the pinnacle and the blue cheer too. But just all told, you're going up against Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple. Yeah. You know, it's, it's you know, this weird period of time when the Brits could rock. It, it never happened before. It never happened yeah, again. They, 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 weren't, they weren't drawn from a, a Brit tradition. They were successfully aping, you know, an American ethos and mythos, right? So, yes, yes, and and a guy I talked to had a good theory. I thought explained it was that Britain was no longer the seat of empire; it had become on the periphery of empire. And they found one of their places was cut into the financial industry, and then cut into the culture industry. And they started, you know, they figured oh, out a nice way of 100%. feeding American 100%. culture back well, to uh, America and then taking it to the whole world. You know? Well, what I've, what, so. I, what I've always ad admired consistently is they recognize that it's a viable, vi serious and viable import or export, right? So yeah. um, it, I, I'll give you an example. A friend of uh, two people I know, one guy said, well, the government figured out that they could give me, put me on the dole and get zero return outside of the fact that I'm not dying in the streets or they could give me a low cost loan to start a record label. That guy's never worked a real job in his life. He's been able to fucking cobble together a living and bought a house in London, you know, um, because they gave him money to start a record label and he's parlayed that into, you know, they take this shit seriously. I know a guy who, it, it, performing rights, ASCAP and BMI, I get little dribbles and drags and uh, checks from these guys. I know a guy over there was in a band, Terminal Cheesecake, Russell, wrote one big hit, like one of those songs, like if you heard it, you go, oh, you know, I thought Human League wrote that. No, it turns out Russell wrote it. And he's been able to live. Never never works a serious job after that. They've been able to live because they have the structure. I mean, they really, they take it seriously. It drives me crazy. I mean, there are plenty of countries where they do with state-sponsored art and it's absolute dreck. Uh, but the Brits have really dialed it in and got it totally 100% right in a way that America he says, hasn't even come close to figuring it out. So... ASCAP, where my check be? Problem with y'all? Yeah. I say it directly. To say it directly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, man. Yeah, you know, uh, let's, let's not get started. I'm, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, and then it, it continues. Like, if you look at, like, like, say, okay, let's go, and this is maybe off the Nirvana, right? And the Brits go, oh shit, something is happening. And then we have Radiohead, which to me was a Nirvana cover band. You know, if you listen to their first big at hit, first, at first, Creep, yeah, no, the first, first big hit, yeah, Creep, yeah, for yeah, sure, right, yeah. And yeah. and you know, then they, they become a Pink Floyd U two yeah, cross, yeah, but. nurtured, nurtured into you know doing. I mean, we just have nothing like that in America, you know. And and I remember when record labels were stumbling over themselves after Nirvana. You know, if you remember that mad dash to give Helmet tons of money, and that cat, the mm. Paige Hamilton from Helmet, he's never worked again either. And it's like, doesn't don't you guys know that Helmet is? <laughs> I don't want to say mediocre, man, but they, they just didn't deserve that. Paige Hamilton should have been working a job at a Tasty Freeze. By well, the, the thing about Helmet is Pantera stole their whole bit and and yeah. did it better. 
you know, yeah. had 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 a persona and a mythos and better songwriting, but they swiped yeah. their entire sound um, yeah. from Helmet, just cold swiped it. And Pantera, for my money, is the metal band of the '90s. You know, one of the yeah. few that kept kept the thing. But that's for a future episode. So we'll be back next time, and we'll continue our discussion of metal evolution with a look at early metal part one, U.S. Division. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi continue the history of heavy metal with a discussion of American pioneers of the genre in the 1960s. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.